What up, what up? Welcome to the Continual Growth Podcast, where we help you kill every day and own your fucking life. Today is episode 32, and guess who's back? <laughs> Z's back. I'm back, I'm back. We had Carlito on, we had Stir on, Z's been in Kurdistan. That's so. right. No, right. you know he's got a lot to, to talk about today. I'm happy so to be we're, back. We're gonna we're gonna just jump right into it, man. Like tell us tell us how your travels were. Sure. Let us know everything that was going on over there. Sure, sure. So uh so for people that don't know, Kurdistan is a, a ge- geographic region that spreads across Turkey, Iran, Iraq, and Syria. Mm-hmm. And right now, the way that the world map's drawn, it's currently not a country. So we're the largest ethnic minority in the world without our own country. Um and to put it in perspective, like that to me is the middle of the world, right? Yeah. So to travel all the way over there was about 30 hours, including uh, how many planes? Uh, three plane rides, okay. um, several delays at different airports, um, flying through Europe, and then into into Erbil, which is the capital city. And it's like seven seven hour time difference. Seven hour time difference. Yeah. So uh, going there, I didn't really feel the jet lag. I mm-hmm. think I was excited by. You know, I, I haven't been back to my country in 20 years. Like, I'm 31 years old. The last time I went back, I was 11. Mm-hmm. So it had been a long time since I went back, and I was pretty excited to see everybody. Um, and, like, my dad, I hadn't seen him in 11 years, right? So um, it was – it was uh, I was excited to go. I, I didn't feel the, the jet lag that people feel when they go somewhere. Yeah. But coming back, man, I got my ass beat, Damn. right? Because right? I'm going backwards in time, traveling this way, this direction – um, the earth spins the other way, right? How long, how long was the flight back? Flight back. So flight there, total flight time was about flight and like airport transit time. Yeah. It's probably about 23, 24 hours. Yeah. But coming back was about 32 hours. God 33. Damn. Yeah. And like on top of the 32 hours of traveling, the probably the 24 to 48 hour period before leaving, like I didn't really sleep, right? I wanted to make sure that I hit every house, said goodbye and let them know that I'll be back soon. And, mm. and it's, over there, it's it's respect is a big thing, right? And I wanted to make sure I showed everybody the respect by going to every single person's house. So um, the last two days being back in Canada has been fucking exhausting shit. But I'm definitely happy to be back. I'm happy to, to jump on the podcast and fill everybody in on a little bit about what happened over there and some lessons that I learned from my experience. And hopefully there's a takeaway that everybody can can uh, can take away from from this episode. Okay, sick. We're happy to have you back. No doubt. Noah, the team the team's almost full. Stir's so gonna be back soon too. He's in, he's in Rwanda right now, so every everybody's going back home. That's right. But earlier you were telling us you were telling us a little story about about back home. And sure. I'm I'm not even gonna say anything about <laughs> it. You just yo know, get into it and, and sure. tell these people about it. Sure. Okay. So. Um, so my people, since the beginning of time, has, have always um, have always had to defend their land, right? We've always been caught up in all the wars between all the various countries over there, um, and even dating back to like the Crusade times. So we're talking about like a thousand, fifteen hundred years ago, right? So um, our culture, we we are the 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 mentality of the people is that we defend the country at all costs, right? Mm-hmm. And the soldiers that defend the country. They're, what, they're what's called Peshmerga, right? Peshmerga. Peshmerga, right. Pesh means um, facing or before, yeah. and Marga means death, right? So what it means is that if you sign up to be a Peshmerga, you are, you are saying that I'm willing to face death. I'm willing to accept that by doing this job, defending the homeland, defending this country, I'm willing to sacrifice my life 
right? So you're just putting down everything you're saying, like, that's right. I'm, I'm ready for this. That's right. And, and um, you know, growing up here in Canada, like, my dad was a Peshmerga, right? He was, he was a Peshmerga along with all my uncles, my cousins. Majority of the men in my, in my family, mm. they are Peshmergas, right? Okay. So um, growing up, I heard, I'd heard stories and um, done a little bit of homework on some of the, the wars that they've been a part of and, and all that kind of stuff. And, but going over there and, and meeting them and going to the army bases and shaking hands with them and um, thanking them for their service and, and hearing their, the stories and the lessons that, to be honest with you, like anybody in the world could benefit from these lessons. And I thought that by jumping on this podcast, we could talk about some of those lessons that I learned, and hopefully there's a bit of takeaway that people can, can uh, apply in their lives, right? Oh, yeah. So um, going back over there, the most recent war that, that happened is with ISIS. So ISIS uh, spread through Syria and Iraq uh, probably about four years ago. And as they started to creep into Iraq, so they started in Syria, and Syria's been in a civil war for the past five, six years, right? So... For them to take, to, for them to capture land and, and take over cities is fairly easy, right? They're fighting against, not fighting against like a professional army. They're fighting other militia groups, and ISIS was fairly well organized, right? And their ideology was based around an extreme version of Islam that isn't uh, perpetuated by anybody else. It's very secular. It's very um, extreme. Like they, they, if you're a man, you have to have a beard. You have to have a long beard, and women have no rights. And um, even if you're a man, if you don't uh, pray every day, and, and it's very extreme. Like if you don't, then it's they rip your head off, they cut your head off, right? Sure. Okay. It's extreme. It's really extreme. So as they started to spread into Iraq, the uh, Arab portions of, of Iraq, they ran them over. The Iraqi soldiers ran in fear, right? Mm. They had heard about the propaganda about these um, militiamen that had come from around the world that wanted to have an Islamic caliphate, meaning like, a region of land that all ascribes or describes to or ascribes to that extreme version of Islam, and what they do to do that is use fear, right? They use fear as a weapon, and some of the ways they do that is they put up propaganda videos, putting uh, like let's say a twenty-year-old man on his knees and they cut his head off because he didn't know a specific verse in the Quran, which is like the Bible for for Muslims. Yeah. So stuff like that it breeds fear, right? And Iraqi soldiers historically are not well known as, as, as strong fighters, right? Mm-hmm. And their army just recently got put back together. You know, Saddam's army got taken apart probably 12 years ago. So their army is just coming back together. They're just kind of getting that military training mm-hmm. from the U.S. and other countries. So as ISIS started to spread into Iraq, they ran. Like, for better, lack of a better word, they ran. They dropped their guns, they left their tanks, they left their bombs, and just ran, right? So imagine now you're facing a militia that is starting to overrun your country, but at the same time as they're gaining land, they're also gaining access to weapons to... And these weapons All are like... weapons that were, that were left there. Right, and these weapons are, are, are recent weapons. Like, they're weapons that have been provided by the U.S. government, uh-huh. right? So we're talking about Hummers, um, you know, RPGs... Weapons of war, right? Yeah. All brand new. And now you have these militiamen that are willing to do whatever it takes to gain this land. Yeah. They've got, they've got now have these access to these weapons, right? Okay. So Kurdish people, dating back to probably 100 years, have always used weapons that were 20 or 30 years old, yeah. right? Um, and it's, it's, it's astonishing to me that these guys would face these people 
who are coming into their country, right? They would face them with weapons that are outdated, right? We're talking about like, like these guys, the ISIS guys are using semi-automatic and automatic weapons, firing off hundreds of bullets an hour, a hundred bullets a minute, right? Yeah. And you have guys like the Peshmerga who are maybe able to fire 12 rounds a minute, right? So it's not an equal fight, right? It's not equal by any measure. Mm-hmm. And it's not equal in terms of numbers as well, right? So as they started to gain ground, and as, as they started to take over some of the Kurdish cities, the Peshmerga came and stopped them. And the men that stopped them were my uncle. My uncle was the general, the leader of that, of that, that infantry, right? Okay, okay. It's incredible. Imagine... Imagine the fear that anybody would have facing off against hundreds of thousands of people that are invading your country. Mm-hmm. And he is like, nah, we're not afraid. We're not afraid. We are, we are the ones who face death. We signed up for this. Mm-hmm. You're not going to step inside of my country. You're going to protect. You're going to protect. So they, uh, they regrouped, the, the Peshmerga regrouped under the leadership of my uncle. They you know, dug a huge ditch, kilometers long, kilometers long and probably 10 feet deep right? As like a physical barrier. And behind that physical barrier, they set up their, their military positions, right? And I had the pleasure of going to that front line, right? Now that front line is, is not active in terms of a military sense because yeah. they pushed back ISIS back into Syria. And to this date, like Syria's, uh, the ISIS is pretty marginalized, I would say. But to go and hear the stories of how they did it, you know, talking about 93 days in a row, in the ditches, firing bombs, firing guns, and just saying like, "Yo, you're not, you're not this line. fucking crossing this line." Okay. And to me, there was there were some powerful lessons that I gathered from these men because. Okay, know, hold on. I got a quick sure, question. So sure. the Pishmar, the Pish, Pishmarga, Pishmarga. There you go. How like what kind of training do these guys have? Because they're not like right. they're not actual soldiers. No. So so a large like you know I would say maybe sixty percent of them mm-hmm. are 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 relying on gut instinct. Yeah. They're not trained soldiers. As ISIS started to make their way through Iraq and and get towards the Kurdish areas, regular men working regular jobs. Yeah. Like they, like they, they're not training. They're not in there just working out, shooting guns all the time. No, no, they, 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 it's, it's a sense of pride. Yeah. This invader is coming into our land. No way is that going to be allowed. Mm -hmm. So you have these men that working regular jobs, pick up arms, pick up guns and head to the front line. No questions asked. Like it's and and to put it in perspective, it's not like the soldiers in the Canadian or U.S. Army who get paid. Yeah. These men don't get paid, right? This is it's all honor. It's it's by honor and and yeah. it's volunteer. It's um it's recognizing that like if we don't do this, these men, so-called Islamic men, are going to come into our country. They're going to kill our kids. They're going to rape our women. They're going to overrun our our society. The way that we've kind of lived over the last 30 or 40 years they're going to change all that so instead of so instead of running from the war they said yo we're running to the the war to the war and there was a powerful lesson in that commitment to a goal right like we talk about commitment to a goal and and you know commitment wavers Mm -hmm. it does naturally for anybody right but that that level of commitment where you're like yo i don't give a fuck what this guy does Mm -hmm. he could fucking blow me up right here i don't give a shit but I'm defending this country for with everything I got, including my life. Yes, okay, right. Okay. So it's it's absolute commitment, absolute. Like it's it's unwavering, and it's and it's to the to the point where the strength of people like my uncle who are leading, mm-hmm. their strength is what the other soldiers lean on, right? Because you have guys that like my dad or my uncle is a trained 
soldier. Like he's been in the war. He's been in the Iraq-Iran war. He's been all, all wars, right? He's been fighting since he was 12, mm-hmm. right? He's 60 years old. So to him, it's normal. To him, it's, it's just another enemy. But no to, fear. But to the, to the young people, guys, yeah. right? People who are growing up that haven't really seen military action for the last maybe 10 years since Saddam's army fell down. For them, it's, there's got to be fear there. It's, yeah. it's human. It's natural, right? So they're looking at him and they're seeing like, yo, this guy is, has no fear. Like, let's just, let's ride with him. And, and, and the way that things are over there, like, people are really good storytellers, right? Mm-hmm. So when they're telling stories of wars against the Saddam's army, like Saddam's army was a very well-organized military operation, right? And comparing that to these fucking ISIS dickheads. So it's like, if we can fight Saddam's army, these guys yeah. are no problem. And if you have my uncle who's standing, like, it's not like he's in an army base and sending guys to the front lines. Yeah. He's at the front lines sending guys back to the army base because mm-hmm. he recognizes that I'm the leader. I'm the one that's got to put the, the entire mission on his back. Mm-hmm. And because he's putting the entire mission on his back, you have buy-in, right? And when people buy in, like, how can you beat somebody who's willing to die, right? Willing to die. Like, you, you can't beat me, mm-hmm. <laughs> Come, come, try, right? And, you know, we lost a lot of people. It wasn't a war that was uh, one-sided. It was very much a, a, a back and forth. Yeah. But the, resilient, the resiliency of, of, of men who accept that this mission is paramount. Mm-hmm. Yes, we have companies and jobs back in the city, but they, they don't matter if, if we lose this war, right? So you have people that have complete buy-in, absolute commitment to the goal of defending the land and, after a brutal couple of years of fighting, mm-hmm. they were able to not only stop them, right? The Iraqi army ran. The Iraqi army was the one that was supposed to stop them. Okay. But they ran. The right. Peshmerga came and stopped them in their tracks. And then not only stopped them, but pushed back. Pushed back. And then eventually, the ISIS was pushed back into Syria. And then the Syrian army regrouped and continued to push them back and push them back. And I think now they're, they're isolated. They're, they're, they've got a small piece of land. But I think eventually, they're going to be eliminated in the next year or so. Yeah. Um, but to see how the willingness of people to sacrifice their own life, right? Like talk about a guy, like imagine, imagine, you know, being at your, your coffee shop, you're serving customers every day, right? It's normal, right? And all of a sudden you hear on the news that there's these fucking ISIS dickheads that are progressing towards your land. And you're like, okay, all right, customers, everybody out. We're shutting the store down. I'm picking up my weapon and I'm going to the front lines. Like that mentality is like, that's so powerful mm-hmm. and shaking hands with these men and thanking them for their service and recognizing that I live in Canada. I, I watched the wars. I watched what happened. Right. And I was heartbroken because part of me recognized that like, I should be there. I su- I'm supposed to be there. I'm supposed to be on the front lines with these men. Mm-hmm. And for them to tell me, no, 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 you are fighting a war by yourself. It's di- and, and the war that they're talking about is, you know, growing up in Canada as a, as a refugee immigrant, it's tough, right? But for them to give me the permission to not feel obligated to come back and fight these wars. And they always talk about how, you know, we've, we've got 200,000 soldiers, Peshmerga, that signed up and came to the front lines, right? Yeah. There was a bunch of other men that had to stay, yeah. right? You can't abandon your city, right? So guys like my dad, for example. My dad is, a, is an old Peshmerga, right? He's, he's 65 plus years old, right? So as the men in the family went to the front lines, he was the one that visited every single home and made sure that the women were okay, made sure that the children were okay, because that's a job in itself, yeah. right? And, and he, 
hearing the stories of how men had to take on other responsibilities, yeah. it's, it's, it was powerful. It, sound, it sounds like everybody's like, we have a mission, yep. and everybody's buying into the mission, and everybody's just riding together doing what, oh, what yeah. they need to do to, to help the mission. Yeah, man, they, were, they would send trucks of food to the front lines, like trucks of ri- cooked rice, cooked chicken, cooked chicken broth, like salad, like they would just send trucks after trucks of food to the front lines to feed these guys, right? Mm-hmm. Someone's got to cook that. Yeah. And and the, the people that are cooking it, a lot of them are women, right? Their husbands are the ones that are on the front line. So everyone's got a job. Everyone's got a role to fill. And the roles all align towards that, that one singular mission, which is defend the country. That's hold at that, all hold costs. Hold that line. Hold that line. And, okay. and um, you know, around the world, you know, you can, you can go on the internet and read about the Peshmerga, but soldiers from around the world recognize the fierce the fiercestness of the of the Peshmerga. Like, they are not afraid of anyone. No one. You you. How can you beat someone who's not afraid? Mm-hmm. Right? Because in war, your gun versus my gun, they cancel each other out. Your bomb versus my bomb, they cancel each other out. How do you get an advantage? You get an advantage when you have no fear. Fear doesn't exist. It's, it's, it's almost, you know, I was talking to some of the soldiers and they were telling me surviving the war pained them. It, it hurt them that they survived because so many men didn't, right? So to them, it was kind of like, I would have preferred to die. Because if I died, then, then I would have done what I'm supposed to do, which is not only face death, but accept it in, in the name of defending the land. And that, that to me was such a powerful lesson because I think so many times in the Western world, we waver when we commit to something, 100%. right? We lock in on something and we do it for a couple of days or a week or two or maybe a month and then we fall off, right? So you get to that point where it's like, yo, this is getting hard. Right. Something else is coming up. We just give ourselves excuses to right. not do it. Right. And, and thinking about, and, and another lesson that I learned from that, and commitment to a goal is one thing, but sacrificing your life. And that, that, I don't mean like... That's the ultimate sacrifice. That's the ultimate sacrifice. And, then, and below that is, is, the, is the life that you're living, right? So the the home that you live in, the children that you see every day, your wife, yeah. the city that you live in, the, the restaurants and stores that you go to, the work that you have in the city, you're leaving all that behind, sacrificing all of that for that mission. And to me, that was a powerful lesson because I think in Western culture, we're not always willing to make those sacrifices. We're not always willing to say, okay, you know what? I'm willing to sacrifice X, Y, and Z in the name of this goal, Right. Mm-hmm. And hearing men who do it so voluntarily and women who would support them so voluntarily and recognize that, oh, it's okay. Yes, we're going to lose a few days together. That's fine. That's fine. Maybe we lose a month. Maybe we lose three months. It's fine. Because in the end, we're going to have our free land. We're going to have our land patrolled by our soldiers. And to me, that was a powerful lesson in, in being willing to acknowledge, like, what sacrifices do I need to make for me to achieve this goal? And you make those sacrifices and you don't look back. Absolute commitment to the goal. Mm-hmm. And it's powerful, powerful shit. You know what I mean? Yo, that's incredible. To yeah, me, man. No, and, and, and it goes deeper, right? Because you're talking about guys that, you know, now when I went to the military base and I asked the guys, like, so what's a typical day like? Right? Like, I'm curious. Like, now that the war is done, what's a typical day like? Mm-hmm. So you're talking about guys that go on the military base for 15 days on, right? And they're off for a month, right? So... That month that they're off, do whatever the fuck you want. You want to go home? You want to hang with your family, kids, go into the city, shop, do, live your life. You want to work another job? Go for it. But on that 15 days that you're on duty, right? Mm-hmm. And we call that dawami, which is the same as duty, right? So when you're on duty, each day, each 
soldier is on duty in front of a gun patrolling a specific area of land for two hours, right? So they're telling me how, like, it's two hours. And I'm like, wow, two hours on duty, like, finger on trigger, right? Like, anything pops off, you're, 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 let, you're letting it fly, mm. right? And I'm asking them, like, okay, so back during the, during the ISIS times, what was a typical day like? And they're like, it, it was the same thing, except we're on duty for longer periods of time. We're talking about 30, maybe 45 days. Mm. And you're only going home for, like, a week just to see your family, Make sure everything's all good. Pay the bills or whatever. Handle whatever you got to handle as a man, yeah. right? As the head of the, as the head of the household, yeah. right? And then you handle that and you come back on duty. And while you're on duty, it's not two hours with the finger on the trigger. It's twelve hours, right? And think about that. Like it, it's twelve hours, finger on the trigger, analyzing a specific area of land. You don't have headphones on to hear music to distract you. None of that. There's no TV. There's no. no you're on duty twelve hours. And I'm I'm thinking to myself. Man, you know, sometimes in the Western world, we complain about working an eight-hour shift. Yeah, you know, we sit behind a computer that's, and we just type in time. Work. It's easy work. It's a blessing. Right. And then I'm thinking to myself, like, wow, the, this, is, this is next level discipline and effort. Like, to, to the point where you're like, you're, you're literally analyzing a, a, like a kilometer, two-kilometer stretch of land. Mm-hmm. And if anything is moving, anything, you're, up, you're obliged to start popping off. Right. Right, so it's 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 a it's a powerful lesson in discipline because it was remember and 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 I don't know if I said this earlier, but this was all happening for free. It's not like the soldiers here where they they get paid a very very handsome salary to take care of their family and stuff. No, you're going for free, so you're you're going for free. Extreme discipline and effort, ultimate sacrifice, super commitment to a goal, and you're doing it for free. Like that to me is like wow, you know that's. Without knowing what the reward is, the only reward that's acceptable is defending the land. That's it. The whole the whole nation like unites. It unites, yeah. Just just to, for for one thing, I hold that line. Yeah, man. And and it was awesome to go back because um, I've got some tattoos that that I I wanted to have on me as a as a way to honor the sacrifices of these people, my people. And for me, when I first got these tattoos. I got them really to, to, to hold it down over here in the Western world, right? Mm-hmm. I never thought that it would actually mean anything to them, right? So I remember when I came off the plane and, I'm, I'm, and we're going into the city and I'm visiting all my family members and my uncles, the soldiers, the Peshmerga, and they had seen my tattoos online, but I think seeing it in person really changed them. And they saw my tattoos and they're like, wow, like this, you're, it's, you getting these tattoos is like being on the front lines, mm-hmm. right? Because it's, here in the Western world, like people ask, "Hey man, what's your tattoos about?" Right, and for me, it's a huge honor for me to tell the story of what what these tattoos mean not to me, but just to my people. And they recognize that as like, you know, it was something one of my uncles said. He said, "You know, we fight with the gun, you fight with the stories. You're the storyteller." And to me, I was always a pretty good storyteller, but being over there and hearing the way it describes things, and I I really just recognize that like the reason why our people are the way they are is because the stories of the previous generation, the previous generation that stood up to an enemy, the previous generation that united together to combat this foreign entity that's trying to enter the land. And for them to tell me these stories and, and I felt like I was there, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And for, for them to show me how they tell their stories, I'm incredibly excited to be back here in Canada and to share these lessons. Because I think in the Western world, we like we talk about it all the time. Like, 
we don't we're not as disciplined as we should be. We're not as because as we, because we, we can like, we, we have an out. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to slack, you just slack. But like here, it's you know this is life or death. Is you you can't you That's have right. to be. That's right. And and I, I, I what I love about it is that mindset. Like I've always been a stubborn person. I've always been fairly committed to my goals, but I never knew where it came from. Right? And I just didn't understand like. Why am I this way? Why am I this? I grew up here just like just like somebody who grew up here from from birth, right? Mm-hmm. I came here when I was four, yeah. right? So to me, it was it didn't make sense. Like, why am I this way? Why am I so steadfast and so disciplined versus somebody else who's not? Why, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I connected the dots, and this and my understanding was that in my blood is Peshmerga blood, that mindset, that mentality, right? And I think that the 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 benefit of the lessons that people can use in their life here in the Western world, like it can be transformative. It can be powerful. Just, you know, just hearing this story right now that you, I got so much from it. Like there's so many takeaways from it. I love that. And, and to me, it would be a huge honor for me to continue to share the stories because I think in the past I talked about discipline. I talked about effort. I talked about sacrifice. I talked about commitment to a goal, but I, I couldn't paint the picture in a way that drives people to action the way that I wanted them to. And I'm hoping that by going over there and, and hearing it and seeing it for myself and experiencing it for myself, I can bring those lessons into the Western world. And we can we can take what we do here at Continual Growth and paint a different picture, a, a broader picture. And hopefully it drives people to take even more action. And to me, I love that people listen to this podcast and give us a chance to talk and tell these stories and, and really kind of dive into different topics. And I mean... If people over there, when they hear this episode, because they will, I'm going to send it to them, right? Mm-hmm. Their English isn't that good. But I've got some family members that speak English fairly well. I'm going to get them to translate. And I promise you, we're going to get tons of hits from people that are going to be like, wow, there's a black guy and a <laughs> Kurdish guy talking about the Peshmerga on a podcast that Canadian people are going to listen to. Mm-hmm. And, and we've got some listeners from other parts of the world, so I want to acknowledge them too, but it's oh, Western, yeah, sure. Western shout, listeners. Shout outs to everyone in Kurdistan. Yeah, man. No, they're, they're, the Peshmerga. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So it's it's awesome, you know. And I'm 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 loving that 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 you you know when I when I came back and you said, Yo Z, we gotta do a podcast. And I'm thinking to myself, like, all right, cool. What you want to talk about, right? And the first thing you said was like, Yo, I want to I want I want you to talk about the lessons that you got from the ten days that you spent over there. Mm-hmm. To me, that was powerful because it's like, wow, this guy gets it. He understands me, like. I didn't go over there as a vacation, yeah. right? It's not Cuba. It's not, it's not Jamaica, right? I'm going to a, a very much developing country, right? Like when I went 20 years ago, there wasn't uh, 24-hour power. There wasn't 24-hour running water, right? Uh, certainly wasn't internet, obviously, right? But to go over there now and to he- see, hear people talking about leapfrogging, meaning like, like hey, did, you get a ho- did you get a home phone? No, we, we went from nothing to cell phones, mm-hmm. right? Like that's... To me, that sounds crazy, right? Like, no progression. You went from nothing to cell phones. They, over there, they don't have text messaging. Everything is on data, right? Here in Canada, our phone bill is fucking crazy because of data, right? Over there, data is free almost. Like, it costs nothing, right? And, and to hear about how power is now 12 hours for every single house, free, paid for by the country, paid for by the government, right? And they also have metered... Uh, power for the other 12 hours so it's by paper use i guess you could say but that along with like running water like running water like like you and i would go to a sink and open the tap bro and we have no, water right well uh, when you were gone sure. the, the the condo they shut the water off for like they're just they're fixing something here right it was right. off for like four hours 
And me and Jack were like, man, the water's not on. Yo, how are we gonna how, how are we gonna drink water? Yo, it was not on for four, four hours. hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. it was it was a big problem. You know right. what I mean? Like, right. We take so much for granted. Absolutely, man. Like, and and being over there and and understanding, like, like why don't they have traffic lights? Right. Like, I was imagining, like, why don't they have traffic lights? Mm-hmm. And then my cousin's like, well, to have traffic lights, you need to have twenty four hour power. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, I never thought of that. Right. Tap water that you can, you can just turn on, yeah. and it's cold, and it's fresh, and it's safe to drink. Like these are things that we just—it's normal to us. It's—it's oh. it's kind of like just—it's the way of life, right? But over there, they're seeing it and hearing from family members who are like, "Yeah, so they just brought piping for water into our uh, village last year," mm-hmm. and they're talking about how amazing that is, right? And to me, I'm like, "Wow!" Like we take mad shit for granted. Hell yeah, you know what I mean. So yo, now that you're back, sure. How grateful are you for the life that you live? Man, when when you grow up in the Western world, I don't think you realize how much how, how incredible your life is. And how much and how much do you think you have to complain about? Oh man, like that's <laughs> you know, I never I never was one that complained a lot, but I did. Mm-hmm. Like everybody. You know? Everybody complained. Everybody does. matter. Yeah, and and I think going over there and experiencing it for myself, like what a developing country is like. And then coming back to one of the best countries in the world, Canada. Like, it's one of the best in the world. We live in Toronto. Toronto. Every year there's a list of the top cities, and Toronto is in the top five every year. Every year. Top five city in the world. So we're talking about, like, the experience of human beings. It's the best in Toronto. And here I am living it, experiencing it, right? And to talk about how life is over here with people over there, like, doesn't even make any sense. Doesn't make any sense at all, right? Like, like for them, working is a huge honor. It's a privilege to have a job. It's yeah. a gift to have a job. Over here, people complain about going to work, right? And for them to to, to give me some of the comparisons and some of the contrasts, it just made me so grateful for my life. And it made me realize that, you know, I'm 31. I've had a I've had a great life. Great life. I've experienced everything there is to experience in Canada. And I've been able to travel around the world, but going back to my homeland and hearing them tell me that the one thing that they ask of me, the one thing, just one, is talk about us. Mm-hmm. Tell the world about Kurdistan. Tell the world about Kurds. Because like I said in the earlier, uh, earlier, uh, earlier in the podcast, we're the largest ethnic minority without our own country, mm-hmm. right? Like we as Canadians have Canada. Yeah. Americans have the U.S. Spanish people have Spain, right? On and on and on and on. Kurdish people don't have their own country, right? That to me is a, is, a, is a massive shame. And I think for me, it would be a huge honor and privilege to tell the story on whatever medium I get to, whatever platform I get to, to raise the awareness of, that there's these incredible human beings that we all can learn from. And I'm privileged to be of the same lineage, to be of the same blood. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that give, you know, having this opportunity on our podcast to talk about this like, I, I couldn't ask for anything more. I'm deeply, deeply, you know, in a deep sense of gratitude for the life that I live, for the opportunity that we have to impact people. And I'm really hoping that this story, along with some of the ones that we're going to share in the future, drive people to take action because there are people that are starving for the opportunity, mm-hmm. just waiting for the, the chance to, to live the life that we live over here. And I think it would be a damn shame to not take advantage of it because of dumb shit, like complaining or whatever else, right? Bro, there's, yo, there's so many life lessons I got for this. And, like, yo, I'm grateful 
that you went there and came back and that you have that you got all this knowledge no doubt you can pass on all these life lessons no doubt it's, it's incredible to hear man it's crazy to hear that because man we've been friends for like 20 years right mm-hmm. 20 years we've been friends right and and you know I, I think you've picked up some of the oh, okay that's why he's the way he is mm-hmm. oh okay I'll, you know th- that's why he's the way he is and and to now hopefully paint the picture a little bit more and we're obviously going to have some off camera off podcast conversations that hopefully connect a little bit more of the dots but i mean being over there they asked me they're like you know who do you who do you hang out with who are your friends mm-hmm. right and for me to tell them that like my best friend is a guy from rwanda mm-hmm. and right away the, the instant thing that they said was like wow he's the rwanda the rwandan experience is very similar to the kurdish experience the genocide that happened in the in the mid 90s is very similar to the genocide that happened to us in the late 80s mm-hmm. right you have hundreds of thousands of people getting killed right so you grew up here you were born here but your your lineage your understanding of your people i can't wait for you to go back to rwanda cuz i think that we're going to have we're going to have different conversations yo, after my europe trip i'm like do i have to go back and for then sure. after now hearing all this from you i'm like yeah i got to book this shit soon oh yeah and and you're going to like the 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 way that you're going to feel when you come back to canada like canada is always going to be home mm-hmm. we grew up here it's where we live right but i think a part of our soul lives in the land that that we were supposed that we were born in or that our parents were born in mm-hmm. right and i think when you go back and you connect with that there's a certain enrichment that happens to your soul you feel you feel invigorated you feel you come alive right and i think that when you go and do that and you come back and we do this podcast again and you talk about your experience going over there mm-hmm. it's going to be awesome it's going to be awesome and like for you to learn the language even that's going to be awesome right like it's it's going to be powerful and 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 I, i'm i'm looking forward to the day when we do the podcast about your experience because mm-hmm. the same way that I'm telling these stories and they're having an impact on you they're going to have an impact on me and you having an impact on me and me having an impact on you on the podcast what I'm hoping is that the listeners are getting the same impact and we we just all just grow man that's mm-hmm. that's that's what all it's all about there's in Rwanda right now he's telling people all about continual growth which is awesome so I hope there's some people in Rwanda listening to yeah, this man. podcast right now I'm gonna be there soon. That's right. That's right. Shout out to Rwanda, man. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. This yeah, is a, this is a really good episode, man. I learned a lot. That's awesome. That's awesome. Let's uh, let's wrap it up and then uh, and we'll call it a day. So, guys, thank you for listening. Thank you for giving me the chance to come back after a, a bit of a hiatus, going back to the homeland. But it was a huge, huge gift for me to go there, and I'm hoping that some of the lessons that I've learned I can translate to you guys. And we can all do what we always say, which is kill every day in our fucking lives. Because at the end of the day, the improvement of our lives, the growth that we feel from living our best life through better habits, it's something that we can all do no matter where we live. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel like listening to the podcast is one thing, but taking action and hearing about how people do that, right? Like we've had a lot of people that sent us some messages on, the, on Instagram or via email about the impact that they've experienced by taking action in their life. And knowing that, that that action came from a couple of people talking on a mic. That's amazing to me. You know what I mean? So to close out the episode, it means a lot to us if you do a couple of things for us, guys. First thing would be, if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast. I'm not going to get into how that all works. We're still trying to figure out how the algorithms work. But, <laughs> but uh, it's important that, that we get more and more subscribers and we're, we're getting more and more every week, which is amazing. And if you haven't left us a review, it would be a it would mean a lot to us if you would do that. A couple reasons. One, it lets other people know what you like about the podcast, but it also lets us know. And we can kind of tailor the content towards what you like. Um, 
And I think the last thing would be to tell people about the podcast, tell people about continual growth. If you're using our tools and you're seeing value from it, tell the people around you. Because if you grow and the people around you don't grow, that fucking sucks. But I think it's selfish. It's selfish. Yo, each one, teach one. That's right. That's right. And I think, I think knowing that we can all grow together, doing it in a community that we call the continual growth community, it's a beautiful experience. Having more and more people join it would be amazing. And with that, kill every day and own your fucking life. Bless up.